Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Brothers and sisters, welcome to our time of prayer and scripture together. Pro-Life Leader Frank Pavone here, Director of Priests for Life, and it is great to have you with us. Thank you for also inviting others to come and join in these special times of prayer. It's also prayer for you. We invite you to leave your prayer intentions always in the comments if you like. And we, uh, we all pray for one another as we go forward, praying for our nation, our church, our world, and uh, for a fruitful Lent. We want to have a, a, a season of holiness, a season of growth in the life that God gives us. Let's put ourselves in his presence. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, this is a joyful season of repentance. And we ask you through your word to enable us to understand more deeply the kind of transformation that you want to bring about in us, the kind of life you want to give us, the kind of path you want to put us on. What is this new life that you offer us? Strengthen us, Lord God, and help us as we study your word to know the greatness of the call to which we have been summoned. Let us live this new life. Let us spread this new life. Let us proclaim this new life. May this Lenten journey lead us deeper into life. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord God, Cry out full-throated and unsparingly. Lift up your voice like a trumpet blast. Tell my people their wickedness and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and desire to know my ways. Like a nation that has done what is just and not abandoned the law of their God. They ask me to declare what is due them, pleased to gain access to God. Why do we fast and you do not see it? Afflict ourselves and you take no note of it. Lo, on your fast day, you carry out your own pursuits and drive all your laborers. Yes, your fast ends in quarreling and fighting, striking with wicked claw. Would that today you might fast so as to make your voice heard on high. Is this the manner of fasting I wish, of keeping a day of penance, that a man bow his head like a reed and lie in sackcloth and ashes? Do you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? This rather is the fasting that I wish, releasing those bound unjustly, untying the thongs of the yoke, setting free the oppressed, breaking every yoke, sharing your bread with the hungry, sheltering the oppressed and the homeless, clothing the naked when you see them, and not turning your back on your own. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your wound shall quickly be healed. Your vindication shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, here I am. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So people have different ideas about organized religion. 
And friends, we have to avoid two extremes. One is those who say, oh, well, you know, God is not about rituals. He's not about organized religion. It's not about going to church. It's having God in your heart. It's being good to others. You know, there's a, obviously there's truth in that. It just doesn't embrace the, the whole truth. Because worshiping God doesn't mean worshiping God the way we want to worship Him. It means, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? Religion is putting God at the center. It's like maybe he has an idea or two about how he wants you to worship him. Don't you think you should at least try to find out what that might be? So, yeah, there is a place here for ritual. I mean, you look at the scriptures from beginning to end. I mean, from the first book of the Bible, literally to the last book of the Bible, from the beginning of history right onto the, 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 the uh, hallways of eternity, there's ritual, there's liturgy. And there's order and there's a, a, a shape to worshiping God. It's there on, er, on every page of the Bible. So, yes, because we are people of ritual. We have rituals for you know, getting up in the morning and for going to bed at night and for dealing with various circumstances and for doing our work during the day. We all, we're, we're, we're physical beings in a world where there are other people. We have to organize ourselves. Of course, there are... Rituals, of course, there has to be an organization. There has to be an organization to life in, in terms of how we drive our car, what side of the road we drive on, we all have to agree. So why wouldn't there be in the most important aspect of our life, which is our relationship with the creator and judge of the world, why would there not be some organization? So organized religion. Be careful of those who just dismiss that out of hand. On the other hand, it's those who, like we read in Jeremiah chapter 7, think that just because they have the ritual, the, the trappings of religion, the ceremonies and the churches, that therefore they can just do what they want. They can sin and God will still protect them. So Jeremiah said, don't think you can come in here to the temple and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Therefore, we can just pursue our own ways, do our own things, sin as much as we want, because God is going to protect us because we're inside this temple. It's like the person driving into the, the driveway of an abortion facility with they got the rosaries hanging from the, from the windshield. I've seen that so many times. They're wearing the crosses around their neck, but they're talking about killing babies. Not all those who say, Lord, Lord, Jesus told us, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But those who do the will of my Father. There will be those in the end, at the judgment, Jesus said, who will say, oh, but we ate with you and you taught in our streets. What difference does that make? They didn't only have the pictures of Jesus. They had Jesus sitting with them, talking with them, dining with them, and still some who are in that situation will be condemned because it's not just about having the external trappings. It's not just about being in the building of the church. It's not just about having the rosaries hanging there from the car. It's about obeying His will, keeping His commands, avoiding the sins. And He enumerates them here like turning your back on your own. You think the Bible doesn't talk about abortion? Turning your back on your own. Think about that for a moment. On your own. Your own flesh and blood. Your own children. God looks at this as an unthinkable sin. You know, we always say we want to make abortion unthinkable. I started saying that back in, oh, 1989. Somebody, I was, at, I was on a life chain. This is how I started circulating within the pro-life movement. I was at a life chain in New York and 
some counter-protester came up to us, started yelling, oh, you people just want to make abortion illegal. And of course, that's not the case. It's not just that we want to make it illegal. It's so much more than that. So I started thinking to myself, what's the best response when a person says that? It's not just that we want to make it illegal. We want to make it unthinkable. We started talking that way back in 1989 and spreading that among the pro-life leaders. It's unthinkable. God says through Isaiah, can the mother forget her, her child? Be without tenderness for the child of her womb? Can that happen, God himself is saying? The one who has an infinite mind, the one who thinks of everything, he says, can you imagine something as unthinkable as that? And yet even if she should forget her own child of her womb, I will never forget you. Turning your back on your own. Scripture talks in a, in a, in a couple of places about what will, in the New Testament we read about what will happen at the end times. There will be a loss of natural affection. You know you're in bad shape. When the natural affection that should bind together a parent and a child is broken, is lost. That's what's happening today. That's what has happened in the culture of death. What's God saying here? We're at the beginning of a season of repentance. Repentance. Turn away from sin, be faithful to the gospel. We're in a season of repentance. And we have the trappings and the rituals of religion. We get the ashes on Ash Wednesday. We go to church, we receive the sacraments, we make the sign of the cross. Later on in Lent, towards the end, we'll get the palm branches. These are all good things. We should be doing these things. But if we think for a moment that that's going to substitute for the obedience that we have to have to the will of God and for the active service we have to render to his people by releasing those bound unjustly, untying the thongs of the yoke, setting free the oppressed, breaking every yoke, sheltering the oppressed, sheltering and protecting the unborn, sheltering, helping every human being that we can, think again, that will not. Just the rituals of religion don't substitute for the living of religion. The symbols can't substitute for the reality. The symbols have to express and represent the reality and lead us to embrace the reality, but they themselves are not the reality. That's why you can't be a pro-choice Christian. It's right here. God says, you're fasting, and then you're attacking each other. You know, it reminds me of a story, silly little thing, but, but it, it, it gets to the point of this. When I was in the seminary, college seminary, I was young and, you know, you think you know so much, you don't really don't know much at all. And I was there as a college seminarian, and, and we had a, uh, it was at the end of the Easter season, the last day of the Easter season, which is Pentecost. And we as a community were having evening prayer, and uh, at the end, you know, we were having uh, you know, the liturgy of the hours. It was going to be the last liturgical service of the Easter season. And so the blessing was given. And it said, go in peace. Thanks be to God. And then we had the closing hymn for the service. After the service, we go, we're, we're eating, sitting there eating dinner. And an argument broke out among some of us. When did the Easter season technically end? 
Was it once the dismissal, the blessing and the dismissal were given? Was that the moment that it technically ended? Or when it was, and this was my opinion, when the final song finished and we began exiting the chapel? Well, okay, it's an interesting question if you're interested in the technicalities of liturgy. But we actually started arguing about it. I mean, in an unpleasant way. So years later, I thought back on that and I said, yeah, the real answer was it, 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 it didn't end at the blessing, it didn't end at the closing of the hymn. It ended when we started fighting about it. They seek me day after day. They ask me to declare what is due them. They want to gain access to God. Why do we fast and you don't see it? Lo, on your fast day you carry out your own pursuits. Your fast ends in quarreling and fighting, striking with wicked claw. You carry out your own pursuits. You know, at the end of the Lenten season, when we're celebrating the day that Jesus laid down his life for us on the cross, we see the fulfillment of the servant songs of the prophet Isaiah. It's the reading, the first reading on Good Friday. The suffering servant, the one by whose stripes we are healed. And it says, and you'll remember if you know Handel's Messiah, the moving piece that puts these words into music. For we like sheep had gone astray, everyone to his own way. That's what this reading is saying here. A few chapters later from that passage that we read on Good Friday, this one is five chapters later, says the same thing. You carry out your own pursuits. For we like sheep had gone astray, each following his own way, like we hear today. This is my truth. This is your truth. You have your commandments. You have your God. You have your version of reality. You have your gender. You have your choice to kill a baby. Everyone following his own way. And the Lord, Isaiah tells us, laid upon him, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. How did he lay it on him? When that cross was laid on his shoulders and when his body was nailed to it, he laid upon him this wickedness which consists of what? Jesus Christ was the one who said, Father, I come to do your will. You have prepared a body for me. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Who gave himself in obedience even unto death, death on the cross. Jesus is the incarnation of obedience. And we in our lives are so often the incarnation of rebellion. Everyone to his own way. The crucifixion, the passion of Jesus Christ. And the season of Lent is meant to turn around. That center of gravity. No longer are we interested in my rights, my body, my choice. This is why this goes to the heart of the pro-choice mentality. Goes right to the heart of it. And in God in this passage identifies the evil of that, the wickedness of that. The sin of that is everyone going his own way. I'm going to follow my own pursuits. It's my choice. That's not worship. That's not a life of holiness. That's the opposite of worship. It's not following God. You get somebody like Biden, like Pelosi, like these other false 
false witnesses saying, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I divide and say, oh, I clutch my rosary. Give us a break. We couldn't care less. You're killing babies. Don't talk to us about the rosary. They want to cover up their sin. You know, there's a lot of different ways that people cover up their sin. But no way is more repulsive and offensive than when they cover it up with religious articles. They cover up their sin. It's bad enough to cover up your sin, whatever, whatever excuse you want to use, whatever fantasy you want to create, whatever illusion you want to concoct. But to do it using religious garb, religious symbols, cover up your sin using religion? Just as bad as Satan quoting scripture to Jesus in the temptations in the desert. God is telling us how to fast. Save the helpless. God is telling us how to pray. We want to say to him, Lord, have mercy. Then have mercy on others. Serve the unborn. Save the unborn. Serve the poor. Set people free from the yoke of falsehood. Set them free from the yoke of sadness and despair. Those who have given up, go to them. Lift them up. Those who are suffering the pain of abortion, go to them with the light of God's mercy. We can set people free in so many ways. Those who are in such despair that they're tempted to have an abortion. Many of you work in the pregnancy centers. You volunteer for the pregnancy centers. You're, 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 you're carrying out this reading here. You're setting free the yoke of those who are oppressed. Those of you that are participating now in the Lenten campaign of 40 Days for Life, you are, you are fulfilling this reading. Set free the oppressed. Brothers and sisters, this is the fasting that God requires. This is the Lenten observance. This is the path. Let us embrace it once again and have a truly, holy, life-giving Lent. Amen. Untying the yoke of the oppressed, Lord Jesus. This is what you have done for us, and this is what we seek to do for one another. We like sheep had gone astray, every one to his own way. And you, Lord Jesus, took upon yourself the guilt of us all. As in this holy season, we prepare to honor, to celebrate your Paschal mystery. So, Lord Jesus, turn our center of gravity upside down. And may it be you, not us, your will, not our choice. Awaken our fellow citizens. Wake us up, Lord God. And we may give witness to your kingdom by our service to life, by our forgiveness of, of enemies, by our intelligent voting, by our active service to you and to your kingdom. Lord Jesus, we bring to you all our prayers now, summing them up in the words you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We pray to our Heavenly Mother, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. It's a joy to be with you, friends. Happy Lent. Let's continue on this path, this journey of repentance together. Bring other people in to watch these broadcasts. I appreciate when you do that, and we'll look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dr. Alveda King, board member of Priest for Life. More money is being spent in America to kill babies in the womb than to save them. Together, we need to change that, and today I want to invite you to support our work at Priest for Life. Why ours rather than other groups? Because we have a unique team that helps lead in every arena of the fight against abortion, and we activate the churches where you find people who are most likely to get involved in that fight. To awaken a pastor about abortion is to awaken thousands of people he serves. We do not receive church funding or government grants. We rely on you for individual donations. We have a very high evaluation among charities and top security on our donation site, ProLifeGift.org. You can go there for a one-time gift or to become a monthly donor or you can call us at 321-500-1000. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.